Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Rob Childers is the VP of Operations at Loud Rumor and is in charge of all the operations within the company. Loud Rumor is a digital advertising agency that specializes in lead generation for fitness studios and wellness companies. Since starting at Loud Rumor, he's helped Loud Rumor niche solely into the fitness and wellness space and has helped the company more than triple its customer base. Recently, I was also on the podcast that his CEO runs called The Goat Podcast. I think uh, that episode's coming out shortly. But... Um, Rob, as I mentioned to you just before we came on live, I want to get the rest of the story. I think a lot of often, often we have a, you know, the CEO gets interviewed and, and gets all the media and it's kind of like a husband and wife where if you ask the wife how they grew the family, she'd have one perspective. If you ask the husband, he'd have a completely different perspective and both would be true. So today what I want to find out is what's really happened. Um, why don't you tell us, before you tell us, you know, how you grew the company or what's been going on, maybe tell us what Loud Rumor does and give us a bit of a background there and then we'll start there. For sure, for sure. Um, well, right off the bat, want to thank you for having me. I'm actually a, a listener of the Second in Command podcast myself, so really excited to be here. Um, but basically, what Loudrumer does is, like, like you said in the intro, we specialize in lead generation specifically for fitness and wellness companies. Uh, we work with studios around the world, and really, our goal is to be not just the number one lead generation company for fitness studios, but really the number one resource in general for fitness studios and wellness companies. Something that they can really, uh, you know, if if you were to buy buy a franchise or an independent gym or wellness company, whatever it may be, we want to be kind of the go-to company to help you build that, uh, whether it's your lead generation side or your sales side, providing things like trainings, resources, things like that. And so that's something we've really been focused on and then uh, continue to do so. That's really cool. How did, how did you end up getting involved in the company? Great question. Yeah. So actually, I was hired at Loudrumor right out of college, believe it or not. I was looking for a bunch of different jobs, really in three primary places across the U.S. where I had family. And it just so happened that uh, my mom actually lived out here in Arizona. I went to school in Michigan. So I, I was looking out here, wanted to be a little closer to her. And I knew that I wanted to be in the agency side of things. Um, I got a couple jobs, job offers for sales related, things like that. And not, not that there's anything wrong with that at all. I just kind of knew that I wanted to be in this type of environment that agency life focusing on advertising and the advertising side of marketing. Um, so I was just kind of putting some feelers out there and thankfully Loudrumor called. I was able to initially apply for a marketing manager position and uh, the CEO, Mike, got, got involved and uh, to initially took me on as an account manager. So I actually started at Loudrumor as an account manager managing campaigns. Really cool. And now did you have some marketing background before as well or was it just kind of fresh out of school they trained you? Um, so I definitely, I, I have a BBA in marketing, so I have that schooling. And then also I had had a couple marketing internships, one with a hotel chain and then another one with a wedding and event planning company. So I did have some advertising experience there, but uh, I was definitely fresh out of college when I started at Loud Rumor. So well, how many people, how many employees were there when you started? Oh, there were about four or five of us. And how many are there now? There are 21 of us, I believe. Yeah, I walked into your office, and by the way, for anybody who's watching right now, I know that we're only releasing this as a, um, an audio only, but we're gonna have a couple of short clips that'll be in video, and right behind you are thousands <laughs> of Post-it notes. Um, so can you like try to explain this for anyone who can't see it, but I've been to your office, and it's the boardroom right off of the lobby, and three or four, I think all four walls are virtually floor to ceiling, 
top to bottom, left to right, completely covered in different colors of post-it notes with stuff on them. What's on those? Yeah. So those are actually each and every team member's personal goals. Um, so really cool concept. We, we came up with this at one of our offsite retreats, I believe two years ago, um, and really just wanted to focus on people keeping their personal goals top of mind. And also our CEO, Mike and myself as well, you know, it's really important to us that not only are people happy with what they're doing in their job, but they're also happy in their current lives and with their lifestyle. And so what we've kind of implemented is our clock in clock out system. And so what you do each morning when you come into the office is you actually write your goal down uh, or goals down on a post-it note um, and you come in this room and put them on the wall. And then you do that again every single day before you leave for the day as well. So that's where the clock in, clock out system kind of works. And it's been really fun to kind of watch it grow from really just two to two, four post-it notes all the way. Like you said, now we have the entire room full uh, with personal goals and we've definitely been able to see a lot of people hit those as well, which is always the best part. That's really cool. We had a, a similar program at, at 1-800-GOT-JUNK and then a lot of my clients have got it called the Can You Imagine Wall and we take kind of big dreams the employees have got for the company and we throw them up on the wall and then when they're accomplished, we put kind of a, a big red check mark over them. But I love, I love that you're doing that on a clock in, clock out. Definitely. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's really good to just kind of visually see. I think not only does it help keep it top of mind, but to visually see the progress that people are making. I think it really helps helps us hold each other accountable for one. So we're always kind of talking about it and keeping it top of mind, but also just kind of visually see when people do get, you know, accomplish those goals. It's really cool to kind of see how they've been able to do that. And in some situations, even how we've been able to help with that. That's really cool. Now, you, you, you just said visual and I, I want to kind of dive into a concept that um, I, I'm really kind of firmly believe in is that the CEO really controls vision for the company as to where the company is going. Mm -hmm. How do you get inside of Mike Arce's head and find out where he's going and what the company looks like in the future and what you're building? And then how do you get him to sign off on your plan and what you want to do to execute on that? That's a great question. Um, well, I'll start with just the basic answer, which is a lot of questions, a lot of really kind of digging deeper with him. Um, Mike and I complement each other very well, I think, in, we actually, uh, we've used the DISC assessment. I know you've talked about it on some of your previous podcasts. Uh, we use that internally, and Mike is very high D, very high I, and I'm definitely very high S, very high C. I do have very wow. high I as well. <laughs> um, so... We, uh, we do complement each other that way. Mike is very much, you know, he has an idea, he lays it out, he just kind of gets it on the table. And then it's my job to really talk about, okay, here's, here's how we can achieve that. And here's what we can't do and the obstacles that kind of come in the way. So I think one of the reasons Mike and I work so well together is that we do complement each other so well. But really getting an understanding for what Mike kind of wants in his head is, is obviously the most important aspect of my job and being able to kind of complete that. Um, I think I really appreciate his trust in me in uh, being able to not only share that vision, but break it down for me and then trust me to get the job done. But it certainly does require some time spent with him, whether it's on a one-on-one -on -one basis or on a small group basis, really just kind of picking his brain for exactly where he wants things to go. So that way I can get that really grand vivid vision of his and uh, we can work on really what steps it's going to take to implement those things and who's got to be involved. And do you guys have specific time at all in, baked into your calendar that you meet with each other or how does that work? Yeah, great question. 
Um, we definitely do. Uh, so we, we have both read through meeting stuck. So we definitely implement some of the things from there. But uh, we meet once a week in a leadership meeting. Um, that happens every single week on Mondays. Um, so we have that just between us. And then we also do schedule quarterly offsites for each other um, with, with just Mike and I at least once a quarter. Um, and then we do have some sporadic things here and there. If we're working on a bigger project or a transition or something like that, we will tend to meet maybe twice a week instead of once a week. But that's kind of the biggest thing. And then, of course, we have, you know, phone calls after hours from time to time really to just get on the same page. Yeah, tell me, tell me about the after hours part. I was actually just going to ask you, what, what do you guys have in terms of um, restrictions on your workday to, I guess, to drive towards work-life balance or, or are you just 24-7? Gotcha. Well, I, as weird as it sounds, I'm going to say a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> we definitely are respectful of each other's, you know, personal time. Mike himself has has several children that I know he, he values time with them very much. So I definitely want to be respectful of that and his time with his wife, Marjan. Um, and I know he says the same thing for me. You know, I've got a lot of things that I, I've got going on that he appreciates. But at the same time, I think we both recognize that not only do we want to take this company to the, to the highest possible level, but we both care very deeply about it. And we're always excited to, uh, you know, talk about any way that we can do that. So whether it's, you know, a phone call, Mike has a great idea, he wants to call and get out of his head right away, or I solve a specific system that he wants me to keep in the loop on. Uh, I think we're always okay with those phone calls. So we're never really kind of bothering each other just to bother each other. Sometimes we'll have a conversation just here and there just to check in on one another. But uh, it's always something that I think helps benefit someone, whether it's an employee at the company, Mike or myself. So uh, I think it's kind of one of those things where we're definitely respectful of each other's time, but we also are excited when the other one wants to call the other after hours and talk about something, if that makes That's sense. Cool. Yep. You're <laughs> both on the same page for sure. How, um, so what, what parts of the business do you run and what still reports to Mike? Great question. Yeah. So I pretty much run for sure all of the day-to-day -day operations. Um, I initially just ran, ran the operation side of things and now I'm running our full operations in terms of fulfillment. So the account management team, that's really kind of the boots on the ground with the customers. I also run the marketing team and uh, the R&D side of things. So all of those report to me. And then Mike, I report to and then sales also still reports to Mike. Okay. And sales reports to him as well. And then do you ever skip into and, and work with his direct reports at all? Do you ever do skip level meetings and, and meet with his team or how does that work? Definitely, or does, yes. he ever, does he ever meet with any of yours? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, both actually, I meet with sales pretty regu regularly. We actually have a sales meeting as well once a week, just so I can kind of check in. It's also, we found extremely, extremely important to have that solid communication between the sales team and the operation side of things, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. You know, we're signing the right customers that are going to be a good fit for us as well as us a good fit for them. Um, and then also, you know, of course you always run into if there are any issues, which thankfully there haven't been with, with, you know, Mike, but there haven't been any issues there and vice versa. Same thing for Mike, Mike's meeting with the account management team, the marketing team regularly, at least once a week to kind of talk with them through the same exact types of situations. And we've really found it kind of helps spread that vision, I think is kind of the best way to put it. So everybody's on the same page with what we're looking to accomplish. And has it always been pretty easy for you guys or have you struggled at all? Oh, great question. Um, it's, we definitely struggled uh, at first, for sure. Um, just as I'm getting used to the way Mike's doing things and also Mike getting used to the way that I do things, I think we butt heads a lot early on with maybe what we wanted to do and why we wanted to do it, um, as well as how we were going to do it. Um, I think it's kind of one of those weird situations where we definitely butt heads and it frustrated us at times, but we also, also both both, excuse me, uh, both really appreciated the other person's perspective 
And I think that's ultimately why we were successful as we were, is we were both kind of able to take each other's insight and apply mm. the best possible scenario. So ultimately, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there was definitely some butting of heads. <laughs> how about um, how about on the people side of the business? I was reading yesterday, I just started reading uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, fantastic book by Ben Horowitz. I highly recommend if you haven't read it yet. Um, and I don't recommend business books very often, and this is really solid. But it talked about um, companies that when they fire people often, you know, say, well, I was glad they quit or we were going to fire them anyway. Or, you know, um, you know, if somebody quits, they're, they're always kind of, oh, yeah, we were going to get rid of them. Um, or, or, or they start rationalizing what was really wrong with the person they were firing. And, and Ben's point was, well, you hired them. Like, so, you know, have you, have you guys learned anything along the way from any of the mistakes on the people side that you've gotten better at now in terms of, of onboarding and bringing in the right people? Yeah, definitely. Um, that funny enough, this was actually something I, earlier this year that we really were kind of coming to terms with and discovering and that we had a couple people that, uh, you know, we had to let go some people and then also some people left the organization. So it really made Mike and I kind of stop and really reevaluate, you know, what's going on? What were the issues these people were facing here? And, and just like you said, you know, we definitely looked internally. Uh, I think it's really easy for somebody to naturally, you know, kind of blame the circumstance or blame the employee. But at the end of the day, like you said, and like the book says, you know, we hired them um, and whether or not they were a good fit here isn't necessarily their fault since we brought them into the organization. So I think we did recognize that that fell on us and it, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow a little bit at first, but it helped us grow and be better. So I think really what it led to was definitely a lot closer monitoring of those disk assessments. We actually require all um, potential employees to take that disk assessment before we even move forward with them in the hiring process. Um, just to make sure it's going to be a good culture fit that, uh, you know, the communication side, they're going to mesh well with what we're looking for there. Um, and then also, we have three separate interviews that we go through now. Um, we have an initial screening to make sure that they are going to be a good culture fit along with that disk assessment. If they do pass the culture screening, then they move on to me. Um, and our agency fulfillment uh, manager, um, and we're both involved, and that's where we kind of dig into the deep with the skill set, you know, what can they bring to the table to the organization, and if they pass that, we actually then have a final interview with all of us, Mike included, to kind of just really do one final iteration on both and set really good expectations, not only for them, but for us and what we're looking to have them accomplish and what we're looking to accomplish for them in the organization, so really kind of made us reevaluate our hiring, hiring process and add some steps there that I think we were missing, and so far since I think we've really kind of turned stride and, and continuously just looking at that now as well as something that could always be improved. That's good. And, and you said the culture screening. So what specific things do you do to screen for culture? Gotcha. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things. I think right off the bat, you know, I know uh, Mike's executive assistant, she does most of the culture screenings early on. I know she does look at the social media side of things just as a basis to kind of start, see if this person's going to be somebody that's going to fit the type of person that's at the organization. But uh, on top of that, I think she has certain sets of questions on top that she does ask personality wise questions, things like uh, related to the type of leadership they, they thrive under, what they're looking for from a company and expecting uh, things like that. And then on top of that, like I mentioned, really going through that disc assessment and making sure that they're going to be somebody that fits in well with the rest of the organization. And also not only to fit in well with us, but so we fit in well with them because at the end of the day, you know, if, if they're not happy, you know, it, that's, that's on us just as much as it might be on them. Yeah, for sure. So um, are you guys all in the one office or do you have any remote employees at all? We actually, we have one remote employee. She's a salesperson in San Diego, um, but the rest of us are all in office here in Scottsdale. Why San Diego? 
So she, believe it or not, was actually a customer of ours. Um, she had a personal training business that we, we used to work with and Mike coached her as well. Um, and we really liked the attitude and mentality she had. She moved to San Diego with her husband. I believe her husband took a job and uh, she just reached out to Mike looking for different opportunities. And it just so happened that we were looking for a, another salesperson at the time and it, it tended to work out. And so far, things have been so far so good. So that's kind of what happened there. That's really <laughs> cool. So um, walk me through, I guess, some of the some of the big culture lessons that you've learned. Once you've actually onboarded the employees, you've got them inside the, the company, how do you indoctrinate them? How do you onboard the people so that they kind of come into your culture in the right way? Yeah, good question. So it has to do a lot with, I think, starting out, making them feel extremely comfortable. I think it's really important. One thing we spend a lot of time doing is letting them know that there's really basically no such thing as, as a stupid question. Um, I feel like a lot of people really struggle to learn concepts because they're not comfortable asking questions about the concept. So we actually stress this very heavily early on within the first couple of days to really um, you know, ask questions in any situation. I would much rather an employee ask me a question than, than make a mistake and we have to talk about it later, you know? So that's the first step. Uh, ahead of time, we also have them watch two different courses um, regarding material that we've came up with, depending on the job uh, that they're taking. Internal, like internal courses? Uh, so one is internal and one is external with a partner of ours. Um, but both do a really good job uh, of really kind of setting up the attitude in the office, you know, we definitely have a very goal oriented attitude, but we also have kind of uh, an almost, you know, it's, it's an agency laid back attitude a little bit as well. Um, so I think the courses do a really good job of setting them up with what to expect when it comes to, you know, the verbiage that's used in, in the courses and, and the way the content is covered um, and, and things like that. Once that happens and they go through that, they actually spend uh, almost a full month purely just training with different employees throughout the organization. We make sure uh, that it's not just me or, or our agency fulfillment manager or Mike that's training the employees. We actually get our other employees involved in the process as well so they can really get a good understanding for what other employees are doing in the organization, the different attitudes different employees have towards things and, and how different situations are handled from different perspectives. And I think that since we've started doing that, it's really kind of helped with that, that culture merge and have somebody really feel not only welcomed, but like they can really be their self and be a great fit here. That's awesome. Um, I love that you, you said that, you know, you're teaching people there's no such thing as stupid questions. I have a friend of mine who um, sarcastically, his name is Joe Polish, and Joe sarcastically says there's no such thing as stupid questions. There's just stupid people asking questions. <laughs> it's just like, that's awesome. It's wrong, but it's so awesome. Um, now, so we've heard of people doing speed reading classes. Do you hire people who are speed listeners to be able to work with you? Dude, you are fast. I, I think I speak fast, but you're like, Fast, fast. I apologize. I have to be honest. I know that that's one of my weaknesses. So I gotta, I gotta consciously slow it down. I talk very fast. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I think it's also a little bit endearing is that um, no one, no one will ever think that we're, you know, calculated or, or trying to choose our <laughs> words carefully, right? They know it's coming right from the heart and right off our sleeve. So are True. you emotional as well? Like, do you get um, highs and lows in the emotional side or are you pretty calm? You know, great question there. I think Gosh, I don't know how to answer that really. I, I would say at first I was definitely a little more emotional. I think I've learned the value of being able to stay calm through the highs and lows. You know, you're going to have peaks and valleys, especially in business. Um, and I think it's really important to make sure that you know that and recognize it. So when you do hit those valleys, you know, you're still staying positive despite, you know, things may not be going the best they can uh, because you have that positive outlook. You know that things are going to get better. You've seen kind of the peaks and the valley. So you know you're going to make it out eventually. Um, 
same thing with the valleys. You know, I think when things are great, it's really easy to be positive, just like it's really easy to be negative when things are bad. But I think it's really important to kind of maintain a, a composed attitude with that because just like I was saying, it can change on a whim. And you know that, especially in, in business and especially in our industry that I've experienced so far. So I think maybe the first time or so, it was kind of, you know, when we started hitting that first valley that I was a part of, I was a little bit down on myself about how things were going and everything. But, you know, Mike has done a really great job of being inspirational in that sense and kind of talking me through things when I'm kind of down there. And thankfully, at this point now, I've been able to kind of provide that for him as well. But yeah, you just- around. Go ahead. You just touched on my next question too. Most entrepreneurs would be clinically diagnosed as bipolar, um, riding very, very manic highs and very stressful and depressing often down periods. Um, and most entrepreneurs are often on the spectrum for attention deficit disorder and many are even on the spectrum for Tourette's. But I want you to just speak to the attention deficit disorder and bipolar. I, I would guess that Mike is on both of those. Um, would that be accurate? And then how do you how do you allow him to be in his zone? Because they're not actually disorders. They're actually his superpowers as well. Like the, the main, so just speak to both of those for me. Yeah, for sure. So um, he, de- I mean, he definitely has them. Yes. <laughs> so I'll definitely say that. Um, I do think Mike does an exceptional job with the team of, of maintaining uh, the, the composed look. I think wow. that he tries very heavily not to fall in that, fall into that. But I know when we spend time together, you know, he definitely falls into that. He's definitely had some, some areas. And I think the most important thing for me, and one thing that he taught me early on, which I appreciate that I'm able to really apply now is, is exactly what I just mentioned where, you know, when he's down, I got to maintain that positive attitude because I think it's very helpful for him when, when he sees me, you know, the, the ops guy maintaining that positive attitude, even if things aren't going fully the way that we're expected. Um, because he knows that that just like him, I'm looking for a way out, and he he's not out there on an island. If that makes sense, you know, I'm yeah, there to support great. him, and he's there to support me as well. It's interesting. Like I've often said that our job as the second in command, and I've played the second in command role a couple times. Our job is to make the CEO iconic. You know, our job mm-hmm. is to make them look good, and mm-hmm. and that means that we've got to cover for them, we've got to clean up after them, we've got to be there when they're having their downs. It's great that he can control his emotions around the team, but then can kind of let them go with you, and you can be there to just kind of, you know, take care of it, right? Exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I think I would have 10 or 10 of the 11 or 11 of 11 signs of bipolar disorder and 17 of the 18 for tension deficit disorder. So I'm, I'm right there hardwired. Um, but they're my superpowers as well. So on the attention deficit side, you know, they call it attention deficit disorder because you can't focus, but the power with that is that you see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that you see what's happening with the customer, supplier, the market, the employees, the, the numbers, you don't get super obsessed with anything. And when you do, you usually delegate it quickly. Can you talk us through what, I guess, Mike's core strengths would be and then how you, um, I guess, help leverage those for him? How do, you, how do you keep him working in his unique ability and working where he's strong? Definitely. So I think Mike has actually a lot of different strengths, but I think you, you kind of hit on it in that he sees everything. And not only does he see everything, but he sees what everything potentially could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that causes him to kind of, he definitely, there are times where he, he's focusing on, on a multitude of things at one time, ideas and strategies and things like that. Um, and so sometimes I definitely do have to like, say, all right, stop him, add it to a list, let him know, hey, I love this idea. But right now we really got to focus on doing this, which we talked about, you know, the idea we started last month. Um, so let's address this, you know, at our next offsite or something like that. Um, so really just me being organized with everything and, and making sure that I'm not just brushing off his ideas, you know, 
I'm actually taking note of them. I'm actually making sure we're talking about them in the future. And, and not only that, but it gives me time, you know, when we do delay it in that sense to, to come up with different strategies that I might want to take when approaching them. Um, so okay, I so think- dive, dive in there for a second. I'm going to stop you on that. So when he's got all these great ideas, what do you do to, to keep track? I'm not gonna, I don't want to lead you too much, but what do you do to kind of handle those ideas and say no to some and yes to some? And how do you, do you have a system or a process for that? Great question. Um, I definitely do. I think the process kind of really depends on what the idea is, but I know one thing that I do a lot that I know Mike really appreciates and it definitely has helped me is definitely as something as simple as just doing a priority list, you know, focusing on what matters most, what are our goals, what are our immediate goals, you know, what are our future goals and, and what do we need to focus on right now? Um, inevitably there are some things for the future goals that we are going to have to start implementing now, but, um, usually looking at the priority list and and determining what's going to help us with this yearly goal, this monthly goal, you know, whatever goals coming up next and making sure that we're striving towards that. Um, so it really has to do with a lot with that, with prioritizing and also just breaking everything down, you know, what's going to get us where we want to be the fastest, what sacrifices are we going to have to make depending on the specific route we take, the specific idea we implement and which one's going to get us where we want to go. There's been, there's been a lot of times where, you know, I think Mike comes up with some really cool strategies or really cool ideas that we're just ultimately not ready for yet, um, which he doesn't really consider at the time. And so that's kind of my job to step in and, and let him know why we're not ready for it and when we will be, because that's always the follow-up question when I tell him we're not ready yet. When will we be ready? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just really a matter of getting a really good understanding of the organization as a whole. I think I really appreciate understanding exactly where all the moving parts are in that. So I know how each, each idea is going to impact each department and and what way it's going to take us, if that makes sense. Um, and then kind of just laying it all out, you know, laying out the pros, the cons, um, and and how it's going to get us to where we want to go. And sometimes he'll come up with something midway through another, you know, concept we're already implementing that both he thinks is going to get us to our goal faster. And I really take a look at it. And I think that with the right implementation could do so as well. So we kind of got to stop what we're doing on this project and start focusing on that one. But at the same time, I also make sure that we need to follow through on whatever it is we're doing, not only for our sake, but for their employees sake to, so, so as to not drive them insane, if that makes sense by focusing on too many projects. So it's kind of a multitude of things, but I think if I had to break it down just on the very base level, it's just organization with what we're working on and what we want to be working on and just making sure we're always keeping that in mind. It's great. Yeah, I love it. We, I created a system called a decision filter and it's a one page, um, form that you fill out before a project is allowed to be started. And it has to be filled out regardless of who's initiating the project, if it's a CEO or a payroll clerk. And the one pager has you kind of outline what's the best result and worst result. What does it look like if it was successful? But then it also forces you to do a bit of an ROI analysis. Like how many people days are involved? How much money is involved? Will it drive revenue? If yes, by how much? Will it drive profits? If yes, by how much? Will it increase customer engagement? If yes, how? Will it increase employee engagement? And at the end of it, you kind of look at it and go, okay, you can kind of, you have a relative assessment from that one pager relative to all the other business idea projects we've got. You can kind of put them in order. Um, Not only you can put them in order of impact, but then you can also like building a house, you put the foundational things in place first, right? And then you put the ones that are going to create momentum because that that Mm -hmm. flywheel effect. Um, I think often we have to protect the entrepreneur from themselves, um, that they often have an amazing amount of great ideas, 
or they come back from conferences with a ton of these great ideas and you want to put them in place right away. Um, but by the way, just on, on conferences and on growth, I think entrepreneurs are good at spending a lot of time at events growing. In fact, Mike and I spent some time recently at a conference called Thrive. Um, and so we, we got to hang out there a little bit and had, had a dinner together one night. Um, and, and I go to, you know, I'm in the Genius Network. I go to Strategic Coach. I've been to Mastermind Talks for five years. I go to the main TED conference. And I started a, a network for the second in command called the COO Alliance. It's the only network of its kind in the world for the COO or for the second in commands to go and learn. Where do you go to, to get your skill sets? Where do you go to grow as a, as a leader? Great question. Um, yeah, so definitely I'll just start with the conferences as well. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to attend so a, a lot of those conferences with Mike. Uh, most recently we attended Bold actually, which I think he flew from Thrive with you to Bold to meet with us. So that was pretty cool. But the conference is a good start. But one thing that's great about Mike, which, which benefits me in, in one way, is that he's always reading something. So even if there was some miracle and where I couldn't find something to be reading, which is never the case anyway, but he would always have some sort of recommendation for me to read, things like that. Um, so definitely reading. Um, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I've been a big reader my whole life. Um, I've always loved it. So uh, no qualms with that whatsoever. I'm always reading something. Um, so, and it's really just focusing on the topic at hand that, that I really maybe I'm struggling with or want to learn more about, whatever it may be, and reading as much as possible on that subject from, from top authorities in the industry, right? Um, so I think that that's really important. And then lastly, I would say just, just as a go-to resource that I'm regularly going through is podcasts. Um, definitely listening to authorities on different podcasts and, and things like that. And, and uh, you know, one thing I really appreciate not to toot, you know, your own horn specifically, but I, I really like the second in command podcast because it gives me a way to, to listen to different perspectives on a lot of the same issues that we're facing on a day to day basis. A lot of the same things we go through or have gone through from, from different people around the country. And I think that that's so valuable because even when you do implement something and it works, there's always the possibility. In fact, almost the certainty that there is a better way to do it. Um, so really just listening to industry experts, really doing your research, really constantly maintaining that level of education to where you're not becoming stagnant with, with anything, whether it be, you know, leadership, operations, marketing, et cetera, making sure that you're always focusing on, on sharpening that, that edge, so to speak, um, is really important. So I'm always, I'm always trying to focus on listening, listening or reading something at all times, uh, to make sure that I'm keeping up with that. That's cool. Are you, uh, are you in town on the 15th and 16th of November? 15th, 16th, I should be. Yes. We should get you out to the COO Alliance um, for that event, even to test drive the annual program and um, kind of selling you on doing it, but you should be involved. Like you're the right size company, you're the right kind of company and you're the right fit for it. Um, and the November event is all focused on culture and building a, building your company into a magnet for great talent, which you guys are at the size where that's critical. Mm -hmm. We've got a, a fantastic guest speaker coming in, Michelle Falcon, and we've also got an Iron Chef, Mark Tarbell, coming in to speak, and we're having dinner at Tarbell's that night. So uh, it'll be an amazing event on culture, but if you want, I can send you an email about it later and get you out for that. Yeah, that would be amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah. That would be so cool. Because you need, you need your tribe. You, know, you need your group of COOs that want to geek out on operations and not just talk about big ideas all the time. So For sure. No, yeah, I really appreciate that. I'll get you the information on that for sure. How are you? I've always believed that, that our job as leaders is to grow people. So how do you focus on growing people? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that I, 
I would say that's probably my number one focus as a leader at this company is really being able to grow people. Um, my goal is to be the dumbest person in the room uh, at all times, uh, really, which might sound weird, but I think that if, if I can surround myself with people and set up people to be successful, not only in their position, but leaders in the company, you know, what, what can, more could you ask for than, than a team full of people who are willing to kind of step up and take charge if needed? So we're always focusing on, on growing the people. I think that they're, they're, this has been something that at first, I know Mike struggled with. He's kind of talked me through that times. And I definitely, you know, struggle with when I was first brought into a leadership position, just because there, there's so many different avenues and ways you can go about it. Um, one book I really recommend reading is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Um, I consistently refer back to this book because I really do believe everything that that's in that book. I think it's a great book when it comes to growing people and leaders. But um, I think really just caring. You have to really care and, and, and not just tell yourself that you care, but you have to really care about people's well-being, what they want, their happiness. Same thing like their personal goals, like we talked about with the sticky notes, because I think if you really care, people can tell. And so everything that you're, you're kind of talking to them about and everything you're going through them with, it, it's authentic. They know it's authentic. Yeah. And I feel like when they know it's authentic, they're really much more apt to listen to you and, and want to want to strive to be better themselves. So I know that's probably a really broad kind of thing to say, but I think the number one way that I've been able to really dedicate myself to becoming a good leader is really actually caring about everybody and really devoting myself to them and understanding that they are not a resource to me. I am a resource to them. Um, and you, you actually hit it, hit it on the nose in one of your previous podcasts when you talk about, you know, flipping the pyramid on its head, putting the CEO at the bottom and the employees above them. And I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, I'm here to kind of hold them up and support them and, and be their resource. And, and I think if you can recognize that as a leader, you, you've already kind of thinking along the correct lines to help grow your employees, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. I'm glad, and I'm glad you get the upside down org chart too. So, um, I was talking to a CEO this morning that I was coaching and he runs a pretty good size organization, about 400 employees. They're going to double this year up to about 800. Um, and we were talking about how hard he is on his team. And, you know, he's always finding stuff that they're doing wrong and stuff we can do better at and stuff that can be improved. And uh, we were talking about how he, how he is at praising. And he goes, I don't really need a lot of praise. I'm like, I know you don't, but they do. Yes. Um, do you have any system or mindset or methodology to ensure that you're praising more than we're kind of giving the constructive criticism? Do you guys uh, build that into your company culture at all in any way? And, and not, in a, not in a participation ribbon kind of way, but just recognizing that um, people need praise to match up with all the criticism we naturally give them. Definitely. Yeah. So, so another kind of, it's funny, we're just kind of bringing up, these are things that, you know, even not necessarily earlier this year with this one, but things that we've kind of really come to light in the past has been an issue. I know Mike is very much, um, don't tell me the good, just tell me the bad. I want to get better, better, better all the time. Um, and I totally recognize that, you know, not everybody's like that. Everybody kind of has to be communicated to differently. So we've implemented some different things internally for this exact reason. Um, we actually have an MVP and a MIP each month, a most valuable player and most improved player. Um, and that changes each month to kind of recognize different achievements, people who go kind of the extra mile each, each month. Uh, that to kind of tie into that. But we also do things during our daily meetings. Uh, we, we have a daily huddle every single morning um, where we kind of just line up and, and talk about numbers and stats. Um, but we definitely recognize, you know, achievements and things like that. If, if we have a great customer 
call or if we have something where uh, you know an account manager maybe finds some finds a solution to a problem we've been facing we definitely be sure to blast that out whether it be during our daily huddle or we have a voxer group as an app that we use you know sharing that um, and everybody gets in on it which is really great you know they send gifts and, and emojis and things like that to really help people feel supported and brought up and really just making sure that that you're always being conscious of the wins I know that's a big focus of mine for people is making sure that we're, we're focused on their wins j just as much as we're focusing on the losses um, I think it's important for morale and also for their self-esteem and their confidence, which is so important in the workplace to be confident in what you're doing, to, to be recognizing all aspects. So yeah, we've definitely implemented some things like that into our day-to-day. Uh, -day. Yeah, you guys, your culture is insane. I mean, I walked in the front door and there were about 12 people that jumped up to say hi to me. It was like almost disconcerting. Um, <laughs> so you're definitely doing the right thing. Um, I didn't ask about the lows. When, when Mike has any of his stressful or depressing down periods that, that are part of the normal CEO roller coaster, um, what do you do to support him on those periods? Anything specifically that you do when he's kind of in the stress or depressing port parts to just uh, to take care of him? Yeah, good question. I think... Um couple things. So right off the bat, definitely, you know, I, I do my best to support him, especially if he feels he's made a mistake or address something incorrectly. You know, if a team member approaches me about something or anything like that, I be sure to, you know, understand where they're coming from, of course, never discount what they're saying or, or how they're feeling, but also, you know, defend Mike in the way where it, it if it makes sense, you know, so being able to kind of explain why we want to do something or, or the specific way we want to go about something, if Mike explains it that way. Um, and then to Mike specifically, you know, just letting him know that I'm there, that we're going to get through it. You know, we, we have solutions. There's, there's a solution to every problem. I think that's something that I tell Mike frequently, and, and I think Mike has picked up and is telling me as well. But uh, there's a solution to every problem, even if we haven't found it yet. It's out there. We just, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, and being sure that I'm there for him in any way that he needs in terms of the company, you know, so if he needs me to hop on a call with somebody, I'm there. If he needs me to have a meeting with somebody or pull somebody aside or, or get him something, you know, I'm there to do it. And, you know, that's not really a headache for me at all. I, I appreciate being that person that's there for him. And I think it presents me just an opportunity to, to kind of learn more about him and, and help him out in those situations as well. So couple different things, but really just at the end of the day, showing that support for him in whatever it may be to kind of help him get through whatever it is he's going through. And then also use my skill set to really lay things out on the table. If it's kind of a stress issue or a problem issue, like that way to, to lay all the pros, cons, you know, what, what, what are the next steps? What can we do to implement this now versus later, et cetera? Where, where are you growing as a leader? Where do you, where are you focused on, on uh, your own personal growth? Oh, good question. Um, always, always people focus. So I always want to know how I can be better for my team in terms of communication, I think is a big one, you know, focusing on how maybe I can communicate an idea or a concept better or, or better timing with it. So I think that's a really big one. Um, it's important for me to, to really understand, uh, just for myself, really understand, you know, how everything works as a whole. So I really like to have you know, if, I, if, if we're starting a new project about something that I don't understand, I always like to dive in in my free time and, and find as much information out about a subject as I can. So I at least understand the basic workings, even if I don't understand the full inner workings of it, like maybe the account managers do, things like that. And focusing on keeping up, I think industry specifically focusing on keeping up with marketing and the different platforms, you know, when Facebook has some sort of scare or some change, things like that, making sure that I'm on top of that. So that way, if anybody in the company is confused or does have questions, I'm able to kind of talk through them with it. And, and then lastly, I think one thing that, that everybody should always be working on is really just kind of, uh, you know, tough conversations. 
um, you know, having those tough conversations with employees, whether they disagree with something I did or something Mike did or, or something a coworker did or, or maybe they mess up on the job, things like that. Um, you know, always, always working on that and, and role playing that um, is, is important to me as well. So how do you guys handle the tough conversations? It's, not, it's interesting, I actually have that down as a question. So how do you handle the tough conversations or, or as I call racing to the conflict with an employee? Yeah, so I think I think Mike and I probably go about this differently, uh, if I'm being honest. But the way I like to handle it is is right off the bat, get their side of the story. What what happened here? Um, while always keeping in mind that you know f- failure happens, I think that that's important. So going into a meeting, very good minded on my end, hearing out the employee and what happened on their end is really important. And then I think from there, depending on the conflict, just really being. I'm trying, I'm not sure the best word for it. Being understanding, I think is the best you can go about it. Uh, there, no one really benefits, at least I feel this is just a personal opinion, but nobody really benefits from being screamed at or yelled at, or, you know, having people get in your face or, or called names or anything like that, which as crazy as it sounds does still happen, unfortunately in businesses. Um, but I don't really, yeah, I don't feel people benefit from that. And again, that's just a personal belief. But so I really try to take a composed approach with it, try to understand all aspects of the situation before really kind of diving in. And I know we talked earlier about how quickly I, I speak and stuff like that. But I think in those situations, I definitely do my best to really think through what I want to say next and, and make sure that the employee doesn't just feel like I'm not on their side. Because I think even if an employee makes a mistake or messes up on the job, it's really important for them to still always feel like you have their back, even if you're kind of talking to them about what they did wrong and why they can't do it that way. I think they still need to feel supported by you as their direct leader. And so that's something that's important for me um, when approaching a tough conversation. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I always say that it's best to race to the conflict. So you just want to deal with it right away. I usually give myself a little bit of a cooling off period, but and then it's all about addressing the specific situation that happened, not the generality, right? So giving the Agreed. person very specific feedback. It's the other reason why I believe that if you race the conflict and you praise people a lot, they don't need any annual or quarterly reviews. They're getting it every minute by minute. You know, they don't need a, an annual review or quarterly view to tell them how they're doing if you're giving them proper ongoing coaching and praise. For sure. No, I couldn't agree more. So you mentioned... Um, I guess two, two last questions. One, one is related to meetings. You mentioned that, that you guys have read Meeting Suck. Did you have every employee read it? And what were the best kind of tips that you pulled from Meeting Suck that you guys are using internally today? Yeah. So, so funny enough, actually, I read Meeting Suck first before Mike or, or anybody else did. But it's really funny because the first time I read it, I was like, to be honest with you, I was like, this guy's crazy. He wants us to have meetings every single day. He wants us to do this many meetings. We're already short on time. So I actually went through and I read it again. Um, right back to back, just because I, I I wanted to really get a full grasp of what you're saying. And I talked to Mike a little about, bit about it. Mike read it after that. And then him and I started talking about, okay, this does make sense. I could see where Cam's coming from. And, and um, I think that implementing these things are really good. On top of that, we also, uh, Mike is is close with Grant Cardone and his team, um, and I know they do a daily huddle, and, and I'm not sure if they follow your exact system, but I know they follow a lot of things from there. And so we decided, okay, you know, obviously it worked successfully for you, and it's working successfully for them, so we should really t- give this a chance here and take a look. And so, so far, I think just Mike and I have actually read the book. We haven't had the entire team read the book as of yet. That is something that I actually want to do. Um, yeah. But I think really just understanding that the meetings are beneficial, like you said in the book, as long as you're, you're providing valuable things to talk about almost. If you're having a meeting just to have a meeting, which we pretty much honestly were before the book, um, we would have Monday and Friday meetings with, with our operations team. And really, we were just kind of talking through the same exact things. And everybody dreaded coming to the meetings and they were super unproductive. So 
that kind of what ultimately really made me find the book. I, I searched for some and, and came to that one and read through it. And thankfully, we've implemented some things from there now with the daily huddle and, um, you know, more frequently meetings, providing agendas, things like that. And I think it's really made a big difference. Our team is a lot more energized and participative in, in meetings. Yeah, you definitely want it. it. It was written so that every employee at every company would read it so that we would finally stop complaining about meetings. Because the reality <laughs> is, so a third of the book is written on how to, how to run meetings a third of the book is how to show up and participate and attend meetings. And then the last third is, you know, what meetings you need to run. So yeah, having every employee read the book, I'm not trying to sell books, but it's just a bit of a no brainer to, to get everyone to read it. You know, if, no, you, I agree. if you've got a $60,000 person and you can't buy them a $15 book, you should probably question if your business is viable or not. Right? <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> so how about, uh, how about one final word of advice? If you were a, an aspiring leader, or if you're somebody moving into a COO role, or if you're an executive in a company, what's a bit of business advice that you would um, give them that, that has worked well for you? Gotcha. Oh gosh, so many things, but, uh, I think uh, just to focus on two things, one specifically focused on the relationship with the CEO. Um, all of the flaws that the, you feel are flaws for the CEO, I think are, are actually benefits. And if you can recognize the, what your CEO is bringing to the table and instead of combat them, really just provide perspective on them. I think the sooner you figure that out, the sooner you'll be more successful. Um, butting heads is okay so long as you're butting heads for productive means. If you're butting heads just because you wholeheartedly disagree with your CEO, that's probably not the best situation to be in. And then um, I think from a leadership perspective with your team, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, but just really making sure that you're, you're constantly educating yourself on communication, how to talk to them so that you actually, they know that you actually care. You're not just kind of going through the motions. You're not just saying things. You're not just kind of saying what you need to say to to what you believe will make them get the job done. You're actually caring about their perspective. You're getting them um, involved in the decision-making process. You're, you're doing your best to really help not only cater to your goal, but also get them involved in their perspective and ideas and getting to the goal. Because a lot of the times, I think it's easy for us in leadership to think that, you know, we're here because we know everything and our employees don't, which is absolutely the opposite of the case. You know, your employees usually have a much better understanding of the day-to-day -day than even we do. So getting their perspective on things is so invaluable. Um, are so valuable, excuse me. Um, and, and being able to not only get that perspective, but actually implement it not only helps you get the different perspectives, but also helps them feel more value to your organization and ultimately creates a great culture. That's awesome. I love the wrap up on it. Thank you. And I love, I've loved your focus the whole time of like being people focused, people focused, people focused as well. So Rob Childers, the VP of operations for loud rumor, Rob, thanks very much for all your time and your wisdom today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. All right, bye. Take care. You too. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.